everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. I suppose it's only the newest episode if you're current in listening to my podcast, <laughs> but welcome nonetheless. Um, just a few housekeeping items. I, I got uh, my new uh, computer, so I'm hoping to uh, be able to implement a few different things. Uh, I don't really edit much after these podcasts, uh, but this should also help make things a little cleaner with, uh, with everything with that. So I'm not very good with technology, but, uh, I'll, I'll use paper clips and rubber bands and, and, uh, I'll get things done one way or another. Uh, <laughs> so the, uh, Tampa Bay lightning are up three Oh in the Stanley cup finals. One win away from winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. Uh, The finals had not started at the time of this interview. Uh, I'll briefly uh, talk some trash with my guest, who is a Boston Bruins fan, uh, in the beginning. And the uh, Stanley Cup had not yet begun when when this interview took place. So my guest today is Mike Salitro. Uh, He is uh, from the Boston area, as you may have assumed. Uh, He is a real estate attorney, associate broker. He is Lean and Six Sigma certified. I've seen that on a lot of job postings, and I never knew what it meant, so I did ask him that. Uh, He also twice has won Real Estate Information Services Award of Excellent. Excellence. (laughs) Award of Excellence. (laughs) I might have to make that a an actual award just you've won the award of excellent uh, we had a fun conversation uh, a lot of it uh, obviously I would assume uh, you would think it was about real estate uh, we also uh, discovered a couple unusual things we have in common along the way uh, and you know me I can't seem to uh, stay focused on a single topic so we do uh, mix in a little hockey talk at the beginning a little football talk uh, at the end. So had a fun time talking with Mike. Uh, Also in this episode, stay tuned uh, for a new Urban Dictionary segment. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, Remember to, uh, you know, follow me on the the social medias and like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you need to do. Rhyming. All right. Enjoy. Here's me and Mike Salitro. All right, everyone. Now I welcome Mike Salitro to the Jeff Macalino podcast. Mike, how are you? I'm doing all right, Jeff. How about you? I'm doing uh, very well, thank you. I told you before I was going to make fun of the Bruins. I'm not going to make fun of the Bruins. I'm giving you fair warning, so you're, you're welcome. <laughs> to, uh, but you know, since you've already opened the NHL door, I'm going to lob a question at you. How do you feel that there are two Eastern Conference teams in the finals? Because I'm I'm struggling to wrap my head around this. So part of me thinks this is cool because it shows what I've always thought: the Eastern Conference is dominant, uh, and three of the four final teams were were Eastern Conference teams. Um, I remember in 2015, the Lightning beat the Canadians when they went on to lose the Stanley Cup that year. And I think they, they, I think the first opponent the Lightning played in the playoffs back in the mid-90s, the first time I remember watching hockey, was the Canadians. And uh, so it's kind of cool because it's like, you will never see a Stanley Cup with these two teams again. I, I mean... I don't think either one of them is going to the Western Conference. <laughs> so, well, barring another international pandemic, of course. Oh, right, right, exactly, exactly. There's always that. That's actually the funny thing with that uh, and the Canadian teams. Uh, I live in Saint Petersburg, where the Tampa Bay Rays play, and uh, it's in Pinellas County. And the Toronto Blue Jays weren't allowed to go back to Canada, so they had to stay and play in Dunedin, Florida, which is also in Pinellas County. So. In a couple of years, the Rays are probably going to move to Montreal, <laughs> and the Blue Jays will be back in Toronto, and Pennells will have no teams. But for a few months, we had two major league teams. <laughs> and you had the Raptors for a time, so it was, uh, it's a booming uh, time for uh, the area of Tampa. Yeah, if the Raptors would have uh, won, you know, anything, uh, I think Tampa Bay would have been a little more. Uh, they're all about winners now. 
Even uh, even my USF Bulls baseball team made it to the Super Regionals of the College World Series for the first time ever. It's the uh, it's the uh, time for championships in Tampa right now. I guess I guess we it's uh it's all our exposure to COVID just made us super athletes or something. <laughs> <laughs> we we were free to roam and we took advantage. <laughs> um. We're, we're, I, I didn't watch a ton of Boston, New York, not to make this a hockey podcast, but the Islanders came off as an extremely dirty team to me in uh, the Lightning Islanders series. I don't know if you saw the cheap shot they took at Kucherov, and they took one at Stamkos, uh, which is generally the sign of a less skilled team uh, that wants to, you know, take out the stars to make it even. And I feel like Boston's got more skill than... I, w- I would have been more afraid playing the Bruins than the Islanders. Were they, is that just their style? They're just dirty? Uh, they, they were the more physical team from the games I watched. And I must uh, give you full disclosure. As a parent, I must pick and choose which sports I can watch, follow, and uh, you know dive into. So I did not watch the entire series. But from the games I saw, they were, I thought they were, the, you know, to be... To be fair, I thought they were the better team overall, and they probably were the more physical team, which is usually a calling card of the Bruins, but not, not this iteration. Yeah, and you uh, recently welcomed a, another one to the family, right? Good, yes. I had uh, our third and first daughter, so uh, we're pretty happy about that. Got uh, two numbskull older brothers who, uh, <laughs> who have welcomed, welcomed her in. So, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, doing, we're doing well. Thank you for asking, Jeff. Yeah, no, no, no. That's 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 good to hear. I know, I know. We uh, we postponed twice. Once because the uh, <laughs> once because of that, <laughs> pretty good reason, and once because I forgot I committed to a, <laughs> a birthday dinner of a friend. <laughs> Tried to get out of that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, thanks for joining me. Um, for people who don't know, you're a. a, a real estate attorney and associate broker. Uh, one thing I, I, I wanted to ask you just from, from looking at your resume, cause I've seen this and I, I have a feeling a gazillion other people who have gone on job websites have seen the lean and six Sigma certified thing on what does that mean? <laughs> well, uh, the official answer is lean and six Sigma are kind of business process, uh, uh, methodologies. So the easiest way to think about it is Lean looks at the way a business or a team or even an individual operates and takes out all the unnecessary steps or things that your customer or your client is not willing to pay for what they don't want. So it kind of leans or lessens the, the steps you take to deliver that to them. So it says, you know, you do steps one through eight, probably don't need to do five and six. Let's cut them out. Let's make it as, as trim as possible, as cost efficient as you can. Six Sigma is a little different. It uh, is also process oriented, but what it does is it helps you come up with a consistent and a, a repeatable outcome. So kind of think about like Starbucks and McDonald's. You know, they want to have consistent standards at all their restaurants. You have the same uh, you know, the same coffee, the same Big Mac every, every time you go there. So it's not as if it's a wild card. That this location is better than that one. So they, they focus in on what do we need to do to make sure it's consistent and repeatable. So that's how they're a little different. Uh, you know, they are buzzwordy type things, but it can be super helpful when uh, looking at your business operation to make sure that you're not spending a lot of money on things people don't want to pay for. So they're good. they're good in that way. Yeah, so it's uh, efficiency and, uh, I mean, it, you, you sold it well. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I got to do. I, uh, I coach other real estate professionals, and I've learned that nobody wants to talk about the words process systems or anything like that. So I do not, I don't bring it up unless directly asked, which you made a mistake and did. Uh, but <laughs> I, I have yeah, a feeling it can, it can that... It be helpful. Yeah, but I have a feeling a lot of people are too lazy, like, some people, uh, to they see it all the time, but they're like, huh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of different levels of understanding all over the place. Some, there's a lot of hard and fast rules of each of them, which I try to live my life without as many of those as possible. So I just kind of take the best, pick and choose. You've got some who 
you know, I only do lean or, I, you know, I, I follow Six Sigma, this, this, and this way. But, you know, I kind of, I understand that they're just like almost anything else. They're good frameworks. They're good starting points. You know, you need, you need to have the right people in place to realize they're going to do it this way anyway. So uh, we need to deviate in this, this instance. Right. No matter what you're in, I think hard and fat, uh, just hard rules are generally not going to be productive if they're never able to be bent. I, you have more business experience than me in in tons, so I. <laughs> yeah, in general, you need to have the right people and make uh, decision makers. If you don't have the right people, all the you know frameworks, process, whatever you're going to call it. It'll help, but there's going to be a time when you've got you need somebody to make a decision. If if you've got the wrong people in place, you're probably going to end up in the, in the wrong outcome. So uh, just as important as to hire good talent. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I think uh, unfortunately, and I I can say this with a little more freedom than uh, than maybe I would if if I was doing things differently career wise. Sorry to be cryptic. And not doing it to you, but doing it for the podcast purposes. But uh, a lot of times the decision makers have fallen backwards into their spot, I think, in a lot of <laughs> a lot of places. Uh, or they they talk nicely, but they don't actually maybe have the cognitive function that they <laughs> should. That's, that's, that's somewhat interesting because, you know, that's, that's the kind of downside about, uh, you know, frameworks with hard and fastest hard and fast rules you can sell that to people it's like look how you look how low we're doing we've got we've got this this and this in place but when you know again when something goes wrong where something needs to be uh handled quickly agile and on your, think on your toes think on your feet uh that that's that's when you can really really tell it's like well this person kind of fell into their decision making role and uh they're not cut out for it <laughs> so uh shifting over to uh your area of, of expertise, real estate a little bit. Uh, could you give me just uh, a little bit of your background as far as your career and everything like that and your, your experience? And Yeah, you hit most of it. Um, I have a few different roles, but they're all under the kind of real estate umbrella. I'm an attorney, so I do a lot of transactional work uh, for representing buyers or sellers. I do work with the brokerage here. On, I'm on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, which is kind of a vacation second home area. So I help people uh, sell property for the most part. And then I started, as I kind of briefly mentioned, uh, working with other real estate professionals, coaching them on how to run a business operation. So that's where that Lean and Six Sigma stuff can come in. Because uh, real estate people really good at sales, not as good as running running a business or client uh, experience. So uh, that's what I work with them a lot on. Uh, but I've had... A lot of different roles, a lot of different experiences in real estate. So it kind of helps me see deals come together, see where other deals have fallen apart. Uh, being on the brokerage and the attorney side, I see where the handoffs can go wrong. Because uh, I'll be at that closing table and I'll hear uh, the horror stories from uh, you know looking for homes to this should have been done or I was hoping that it was done this way. And the same, I, I've worked with uh, you know with as an attorney or as a broker with other. Uh, other professionals where it wasn't uh, handled as well as the client would have hoped, we'll just say. Yeah. No, I, uh, everyone has their own unique, it's very interesting how unique different people, even that you'd think would have the same experience, life experience, have such different experience with real estate. Um, I, I told you before we talked, I got the house, I'm in, Right now, uh, in 2011, I was 24 years old, and me and my now ex-wife, this was the 30th house we looked at, and the fourth we made an offer on before <laughs> we, we got it. The, the first house we wanted to make an offer on, our, our, our agent was very hesitant, and actually someone beat us because of his hesitancy, because he didn't think it was a good idea. Turned out he was right because we wouldn't have got the house anyways because there were so many outstanding permitting issues that we would have just walked. Uh, so lucky him. The other ones, it's like we put in better offers than the on those two houses that people just beat us and the offer was accepted before ours ours was able to be presented. Um, so this one, our real estate agent, it was a four year old house. 
and he knew the the agent who was listing it. And before it got the day before it got listed, we put in our offer uh, because you know we we saw it <laughs> the day before. Um, but that was the bottom of the market. So I was, uh, and maybe through life circumstance, having a at that point she was already one one and a half, I think, uh, when I got the house. Um, so having a child at that age maybe prompted me to get in near the bottom of the market. <laughs> but uh, by the same, you know, people I grew up with who are the same age have lived in apartments like a reasonable single person would do and now uh, can't really find a house in St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's just interesting, people with different upbringings ending up, uh, or say, the similar upbringings ending up in such different places when it comes to real estate. Um, and I don't know if there is a, uh, I don't know if there's any good advice to follow when it comes to that, no matter whether the market's up or down. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I know I kind of just rambled a little bit. <laughs> no, in your ramblings, you mentioned a couple of good things that um, you, know, you were very you know, fortunate to kind of, uh, kind of, I won't say fall into, but kind of worked out in your advantage. So the first you mentioned timing-wise, that it was a, the market was down, it was good timing for you to get in. I mean, that that is difficult to know in the moment, but when, when you do have uh, timing on your side, it, it can be very advantageous as far as interest rates, prices, uh, both those things coming together. The other couple of things that are, are, you know, good piece of advice that you did as well, uh, the, talking to the listing agent, understanding... All right, so give me some background on the house or something that I might not know from, uh, you know, reading the description. Why, why are the sellers moving? What, where are they, you know, looking to go or type thing? And just listening to what, what the answer might be. It's a very competitive market right now. There's not a lot of homes for sale. Uh, so you need to stand out when you are making that offer. Most people think I just need to offer more money. And, of course, money answers a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of questions and solves a lot of problems. But if you've got somebody, you know, I just heard this example last week. Um, you know, again, like I mentioned, I'm in an area with a lot of second homes. There's beaches all around. Uh, family wanted to stick around for the summer. So they're selling their house, but they wanted to see if they could say, you know, through August. So the offer they ended up taking was one that was a little bit less, but it let them stay and you know, let them stay through, I think it was September 15th and have to close till the fall. So they were happy. They got to stick around, and the buyers were happy because they didn't have to overbid for a house to you know pay more than, than what the house was worth. So just by simply having that conversation with the with the sellers, the listing agent, they found out that timing was was really important to them as opposed to just throwing on an additional you know twenty five, fifty, hundred grand. I wouldn't have done them any good in this instance. So you know, kind of as you did, talking to the listing agent, and figuring out what's the deal here, uh, you can kind of. Uh, sometimes luck into uh, a deal that you would, would not have had otherwise. Uh, and just quickly, the last thing that you had mentioned, you saw it before it was listed. You know, each each market, each each real estate professional agent has kind of their own rules of ethics on, on things that can be shown before just listed and so forth. But anytime that you can get a leg up on other buyers, and sometimes asking questions, sometimes getting in early, that can be helpful for you in, in again, making your offer and making your uh, making your bid more attractive to the seller. So I just matched your rambling there, but you did a lot of good things when you buy your house, whether or not you realized it. And it's uh, now that it's been 10 years, I bet you're pretty happy that you ended up there. Yeah, no, and I, you know, it's it's such, uh, and luck, it's luck on my part, uh, 99% of it, because now interest rates, it, now at the time in 2011, interest rates were at an all-time low. Now they're lower, <laughs> so they they're like, hey, you can you can keep the same you know twenty years left on your mortgage and uh, the same monthly payment, and you can take uh, thirty grand in in cash. Well, yeah, well, that seems like I'd be an idiot to pass that up. Um, but you know, so the mortgage goes up, obviously the amount owed, but monthly payment wise. Uh, it's the same, <laughs> and 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 who knows if I'm going to even live for twenty more years. <laughs> well, that's the that's the strange thing. I think that 
pretty much whatever study you look at, most people live in a house between seven and 10 years. That's, I think, closer to seven now. And that the standard or the most common mortgage instrument you see is 30 years. And so the more shrewd the buyer, the more experienced when, that they've had with lenders, they'll look at other products, whether it's adjustable rate, whether it's shorter term mortgages, because you can do better um, in the time that you own the house if you, if you consider other products and it makes sense for you in your financial situation, because um, you might get, as you said, if, it, if the market bears and, and it's lower interest rates, you might get a better deal by looking at one of those shorter term or adjustable products. You know, they can be scary. We've all heard horror stories about things that didn't work out, but being, being knowledgeable about the process, asking questions and seeing what makes sense for you, because not, not everyone's going to be in their home for 30 years, let alone 10. Right. Now, so talking about all the luck I had with low prices at the time, low interest rates. Now they're lower interest rates, but you know, four or five times the, the prices in some places. And St. Petersburg, Florida, not that you'd be familiar with it necessarily, but the I think even greater than the national amount. Getting a, a house in the actual city of St. Petersburg and not some of the you know, outside areas around St. Petersburg is getting damn near impossible for people. Uh, so considering all that, now talking about the risk, how risky is it for someone to be looking to purchase a house now? And one thing I said when I was buying a house, now again, I was at the near the bottom of the market uh, in this in this last swing here. Uh I said, I don't really care if the value of the house goes down. I'm just going to live in the house. I don't, you know, th this house is a, a, it's a four bedroom, three, three bathroom house. I don't, you know, it, unless I have way more kids than I'm willing to have, I'm not going to need to move for space or anything like that. So all that being said, how much should people who are looking to buy a house now be cautious of buying when the market we don't know whether this is the top of the market, whether, you know, we've got some room to grow or, or what? Yeah. Unfortunately, my lawyerly answer to that is going to be, it depends because we, in, in the, in the market, you never know if you're at the top, if it's a good time, it's a bad time. The one thing that, uh, again, you did that made sense was you knew you were going to live there and that's what you're looking for. So at your price point, like I need a house that I, I can stay in. So you might have got a better deal with a much smaller house that you might have outgrown. Like, well, now I need to do this again, so that wouldn't work. So the three areas in general you want to consider is you know, what's the price, what's the condition, and where is it located? And generally, regardless of what your you know your price point is, you're gonna to have to make some sort of compromise with those three. So just having a good understanding of why do I want to buy this property. Uh, where buyers most of the time get into trouble is they don't think about those things and they overextend on one or more of them or they buy something because they you know they hear oh uh, you know rates are good i have to buy something now or uh it's only going to get harder so I, I need to i need to do this now whenever you do something that you must or there's no other alternatives that's when you make a bad decision so you can make a you, know, you can make a good investment now in a house, even if you're paying over market. It's like, well, I'm going to hold for a while, or I don't, you know, I, I plan to rent it out, or here's my here's my strategy. So having some sort of plan really is more important than, um, you know, timing the market because that's that's really hard. And when you're in it, you just you'll never know, no matter what anybody tells you. So uh, it's it's more it's more of understanding why do I want to buy this? What's my goal, and how do I achieve that? And then again, thinking about those things. All right, price is good. It's not exactly the neighborhood I want, but it's close enough and the condition of the house is great. All right, let's do it. Yeah, no, and I, I like that answer because that I think sometimes people get too obsessed with like, in a weird way, people who have no reason to worry about like, what's this going to impact my net worth? Well, if you're okay paying the amount of money you're agreeing to pay monthly and you like where you live, why do you care whether you're down on the house or up on the house? There's advantages, obviously, as I as I said, to being up on the house where you can take just take a cash out and uh, otherwise stay the same. But no, I, I like that because if you're OK paying that amount for X amount of years, why does it really matter if the house is worth 10 percent less in, in, you know, 10 years or I, I, so I, I do like that answer. 
Right. And that's the thing about real estate is that the price is going to fluctuate. But if you're not actively buying or selling, and if you're in this example, you've bought the house, you're not selling, it doesn't really matter what my house is worth today if I'm not selling it. You know, somebody knocks on my door and offers me two times worth more, you know, two times more than the house is worth, then maybe, yeah, I'll sell it even if it's not in the market. But, you know, it's not one of those, it's not like the stock market where you're every day you want to know what did I buy, what did I gain last night or, you know, where am I today? Um, Real estate over time is going to uh, appreciate for the Mm -hmm. most part. Uh, So if you can hold, that's great. It's not very liquid. So if you know you're going to need cash very fast, real estate is probably not where you want to invest your money. Right. What, um, Weird side question, uh, distracting me from the question I was about to ask. So, so down here in St. Pete, my my parents live here. My dad has the same first name as me, and uh, between me and him, we get fifteen text messages and phone calls every week uh, asking if we're willing to sell each other's houses and everything like that. Is that some sort of national thing that's going on everywhere? Or is that just I live in a hot market? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't know if I, I'm following. So people are calling you asking if they can buy your house? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. n- numerous people a week are calling or texting. And I, when they text, I, I like to fuck with them, to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> but so uh, just, I guess more importantly here, did you say you and your dad have the same name and you're not a junior? Correct. Because he does not have a middle name. And uh, which I guess is somewhat normal. For his generation, but I, I'm Jeffrey Joseph. He's just Jeffrey, which causes way more confusion than if I was just a junior. By the way, <laughs> well, I, I, I bring it up because my father is also Michael, and we have different middle names. So I am not a junior either, but we both have the same first name, and it's just you know, I would think, and I didn't go junior with my boys, but if you're going to give them the same name, just give them the same middle and go junior. I would think, but we both are in the same boat. So yeah, Do- uh, just wanted to call that out. Well, no. Question. <laughs> the, 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 when I went to buy my house, they initially were like, well, you already own a house. Uh, you bought it back in 1999. I'm like, that was 12. So that Sorry, wasn't that me. Was Why did you take my social security number if you're not going <laughs> to? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. No, but to answer your question about calling and texting, uh, yeah, people are looking for homes for their clients. They're, I, I think that they, I don't know the numbers anymore, three or four times the amount of buyers to actual homes available. So real estate agents, realtors are doing what they can to find homes, whether it's you know writing letters or calling and texting in some markets. So yeah, that's that's fairly fairly common. Um, but it, again, it, it depends on, on if you're getting uh, people who are interested in selling or if you're getting people who just want to mess with you on text. Yeah. No, and I, I'm guessing, I mean, all of this is pu- public record. So I'm guessing it would be somewhat easy to, to run some sort of database search to see. My parents are in the same boat as me where they bought the house. I think it was 1999. And it's worth, you know, three, four times what they what they bought it for. And, you know, so, so I assume they're probably targeting them to... Uh, you know, people who pay who who owe substantially less than than what you know what they're going to be willing to pay for the house. Um, but so this kind of touches on what I I kind of te- teased before we started recording. So I, I'm I'm seeing a lot of private companies are buying residential real estate and. According to an article I read, they're paying like 30% higher than asking price just off the bat and snapping up a bunch of real estate. I don't know if you have any speculation or any any thoughts you can give as far as why would private companies be buying, snatching up so much residential real estate uh, and whether that should be concerning or not, or obviously, you know, I, not that you would know their motives, but... Yeah, without knowing the, the specific motives, it's tough to say whether it's concerning. Um, you know, using my market as an example, I don't know if we're at 30% over. If we're, for the first time, I think, in, in the history of keeping the data, which is over 25 years, that for two consecutive months, we saw uh, the purchase price over the listing price. So people were 
on average paying not just you know once in a while on average you know more times than not paying more than what the house is listed for i don't think it was over the 30 percent, but there were just buyers who are again throwing money at at houses to get into them we what we are seeing is a lot of people who are buying property that they don't necessarily uh, plan to live in to be, have their primary residence or to have some sort of investment uh, tied to it whether it's going to be their part-time home their second home their a home they plan to strictly rent out. So I would, without reading the article, I would think that's what a lot of the private businesses may be interested in, using that as an investment. Uh, the other thing that we are seeing here is that with the increased price in real estate, it's tough for smaller businesses to have employees nearby to work for them because they can't afford, let alone to purchase, to rent. So businesses are buying real estate to house employees uh, because mm. we'll see double to triple the population over the summer. So we'll have people come vacation here, and they obviously need to staff their restaurants, their hotels, but the people who work there can't afford to buy or rent, so the hotels and restaurants are buying up real estate with the idea that it'll be short-term housing for their employees. So there's all kind of different reasons, but you know, we've talked to, around it a couple times and even uh, briefly mentioned it that Real estate's a good investment if you're going to, if you have time on your side. So it's a good way to divorce, diversify your portfolio. It's a good way to make uh, to have uh, you know cash influx if you're renting, and it's uh, and it's a way to um, to to kind of uh, balance some risk in the market. We uh, you know the stock market has been pretty uh, performed pretty well the last few years. So it's just a good way to diversify. So there's, there's a lot of different reasons why private companies might do it. But we, we have, you know, just looking at the way that specifically residential prices have uh, increased over the last few years, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. It's a good investment. So that's probably a starting point. Gotcha. Yeah. And it, I mean, it makes sense as a, as a layman, it makes sense if you're buying it for rental property from a perspective of it and the market's high, uh, I, rent generally is more than what people pay in their mortgage. So, you know, people who want a house but can't, don't want to commit to buying a house when they think the market might be higher than it should be, then renting, you know, if you want a house, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. It's, it's kind of the, if you don't, and the other thing is, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, prospective buyers have good jobs. They have good uh, you know financial history it's just having that cash to buy a house up front is difficult for some you know for most to kind of save up that 10 20 percent that you might see in a lot of markets so not going back to picking the right uh, mortgage vehicle some some you can get with a three percent down payment so if you if you can get there that's great but not everyone qualifies for those kind of products and it's really hard to have at least that much cash if not you know a product that requires 10 or 20 percent it's it's hard to, to have that on hand so renting might be your only option true true Jeff Macalino is a cool dad, but he's still old and not hip, which he shows by telling me to use the word hip. No one uses it anymore. Anyway, here's a segment where my dad has to go to Urban Dictionary to look up something that confused him on social media. What got you confused this week, Dad? All right. Thanks, Bella. So today I'm going to do a callback to uh, episode 28 with Mark Anderson. He brought up the term uh, FUD, F-U-D. So I'm checking Urban Dictionary for that. And I've got a bonus one that uh, Mark sent me as well. Um, so FUD is an acronym for Fear, Uncertainty, Doubt, and is commonly used in the cryptocurrency community community as a short way to describe negative information about a blockchain-based currency or asset so the example is stop spreading fud about bitcoin uh so there you go he was right i mean he de- he described it accurately just didn't know what the fud stood for so it's fear uncertainty doubt there is another definition here i'm gonna read it uh this is not all capital so i'm guessing it's actually a word 
FUD, F-U-D. Um, although FUD is widely accepted in Scotland as being a slang term for the female reproductive organs, it's generally used as a pejorative to describe someone who has just done something stupid, often in situations where they've either been impulsive or it was blindingly obvious beforehand that it was a stupid thing to do. It can also be used to describe someone who irritates everyone because they try to impress everyone all the time and invariably talk a load of pish? P-I-S-H. I've never seen that word either. Uh, how you big fud? Person A, ah, canny, be fucked with him. Person B, how? Person A, because he's a pure fud. Okay, weird example, long definition. Um, I'm going to stick with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but I do love that uh, in Scotland it's uh, used as a slang term for uh, women, female reproductive organs. So there, there you go with fud. Uh, and one that uh, Mark sent me, uh, that I, I wanted to uh, quickly add in here as well was a uh, red dildo. And the definition of this, uh, the top definition is by, hey, look, it's Amigos PC, which is the name of Mark's podcast. Uh, <laughs> the red dildo is the result of a massive dip or flash crash from a cryptocurrency asset, the opposite of going to the moon. I was one zero away from being debt free, and then I saw the red dildo. So there you go. Uh, so instead of uh, Bitcoin or Doge or whatever going to the moon uh, when it's going bad, it's a red dildo. I love it. All right. There's your Urban Dictionary for this week's episode. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to change topics again. Uh, I, I, I want to talk more about you a little bit. Um, I, I'm weird off, off topic tangent that I've always wondered what drew you. So you went to law school, become an attorney, uh, was the intent from the beginning to be in real estate or, or did you just kind of decide that was what you liked the most? So that's a kind way to ask that question. I've had the experience of plenty of different uh, roles, jobs, companies. People are like, how did you get where you are? Because, you, you know, it's definitely not a straight line. Um, I, I went to my undergrad at Syracuse University in New York. And, uh, you know, it was a good time. I loved it. I have a lot of close friends. So after graduation, just moved to New York City without a job. And was like, well, I'm just going to, you know, my, my degree was in public relations with the idea when I went to school, that I was going to be at ESPN, be a sportscaster, of course, because that's where where you go. That was my uh, that was my dream too. <laughs> they, quick, they quickly tell you that. Well, that's also you know very not not common. Uh, if you're interested in going to a very small market, working hard for no money, you know then then you might have a chance of getting to Bristol. So I was like, yeah, no, no, I, maybe this broadcast stuff isn't for me. Uh, so you don't go straight York, from college to ESPN. <laughs> only, only the very best. They quickly they quickly decided that I was not that, so uh, I had to, to pivot and change gears. But uh, yeah, so I was in New York without a job, and the first job I found was at uh, a real estate investment and information company. And I remember I showed up my first day, and there's just this was in you know 2003, so it's not too long ago. It's you know long enough ago. But I uh, show up and there's just a stack of papers and a telephone on my desk. And this was at a point when people had computers and, you know, you were expected to work in a computer. That, but, you know, my job, of course, I didn't ask anything too much. And they like, oh, you want to hire me? Yes, I, I can start Monday type thing. And so my job was to pick up the phone, go through each of the paper surveys and talk to the property owners, uh, the investors, whoever had the property that, that the survey was on and ask them questions about their property. Uh, let me tell you how unexciting and how unwelcoming people on the other line of that phone were. Uh, so <laughs> it was my introduction both to the real world and to real estate. Uh, I was lucky where my market was actually the southeast part of the United States, so uh, the nicer area of the country as opposed to my area of northeast New England and New York. But uh, I quickly, quickly learned that it was like nobody wants to talk to me. I need to learn what I'm talking about if I'm going to have any chance of doing this. 
and kind of provide them with at least some information exchange. So, you know, I'll be talking to somebody like, you know, calling to find out about your current rental rates, your vacancy. But, you know, I was also talking with Mr. Jones across town, and he told me that the hotel he's building is actually two, you know, two months behind schedule. Have you heard about this? Like, oh, no, you know. So now I'm just not some kid from New York who's bothering them. I actually have some valuable information or something that might be used. And that's something I still take, you know, today that, uh, you know, real estate is something that impacts everybody, whether it's where you live, where you, where you invest, where you work, or some combination of those things. Uh, so that, that's kind of how I got started. I ended up in law school because that's who people were putting the deals together were the lawyers. So I was like, I, I can do that. I can negotiate as good as this guy, but if I have to go to law school, do it, I will. Uh, so I went with the idea that would help me uh, with real estate and business as opposed to uh, the courtroom type, um, you know, criminal. Never, never had any idea of that. So. Uh, law was more of a, a real estate adjacent versus, versus a different type of career. So uh, that's how those two things come, have come together. No, oh, that's good. And uh, and uh, as long as long as you say, uh, well, you can't say this probably, but as long as you didn't say, well, I really wanted to be a personal injury attorney, I won't. I won't just. <laughs> Uh, they do not have the, uh, the best reputation in, in a lot of circles. So uh, I get it. Some of them, you know, do really good work. Some of them not as good. So yeah, yeah. Florida, Florida's got a special breed of them. I, I will say, not all of them, but some of them. John Morgan. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> When the uh, when the when a guy when a personal injury attorney who has so many DUIs that he legally if he stepped behind the wheel he would go to jail and probably pay his way out is on your radio daily talking about how he needs to protect you from drunk drivers boy you get a <laughs> that's a little bit of a mixed message I would think yeah yeah people who who have any background knowledge on the man are like eh. Should you be the one doing this ad? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Flo- Flo- Florida's a, a fun uh, a fun case. Uh. I feel like Florida gets a bad rap for the most part. Uh, and, and like for February, for example, my wife and I were we went down to Miami and we thought that you know we had our we packed our masks. We're all ready for you know just once we get down there, it's like it's going to be the wild west. There's no rules. I'm not going to need this thing. But we got off the plane, everyone's wearing their masks, there's rules everywhere you go, and it was just like, I was like, you know, these guys up here were being told that once you cross that Florida line, you can do whatever you want, but it was not the case. Everybody was being safe, being respectful, and, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was disappointed, but I was like, you know, I'm getting sold a bill of goods that, you know, this, this Florida is, uh, <laughs> you, know, you can go, go down there and do whatever you want, but, you know, these people are being responsible and respectful, so, uh, but I'm sure there are pockets of the, uh, the great state that, uh, that we're not as uh, <laughs> as well behaved, but not the case in Miami. Florida is about as diverse as the country, uh, as the United States. It's got, I mean, Miami, and uh, that's its own animal. And then St. Pete, which is right by Tampa, Orlando, we're kind of different, more like uh, normal cities, I think. Like, I think comparable to cities like... Uh, Buffalo and Syracuse, probably more more along those lines, and then there's North Florida, which is like South Alabama. That's I went up there, and they had a sign on one of the stores uh, that said, "You will be asked to leave if you wear a mask inside of a store." <laughs> so, you know, there's different different levels of of Florida, but it, it, yeah, we all get thrown in the same Florida man uh, tent. <laughs> yes, beware of the Florida man. You also have the same look in your eye as I've been in Texas a few times, and the people in different cities have a different level of respect for each of the other cities around them, which I which I found comical as a guest. Mm-hmm. So they're all very nice, but like if you go to Austin, it's like they, you know, it's like Austin. This is a cool place. Uh, you know, we're better than Dallas. You, know, you can go to Houston, go to San Antonio, whatever. You're in Dallas, and you're like, oh, those weirdos in Austin. It's like, well, at least you're not in Houston. Then you go to Houston, and it's like, oh, those, you know, those hipsters in Austin, those, you know, the, uh, the rich folk in Dallas, or at least you're not in San Antonio. And I was like, okay, guys, you know, everyone doesn't need to shit on somebody else to, to kind of make themselves feel better. But it's just funny that, you know, as a guest, that people go out of their way and tell you how 
their, their city, at least in Texas, is, is the best and then how it compares to the others. Well, it's funny. I think you can always, or I would guess at least, you can always bring that down smaller and smaller. Because I was talking about St. Petersburg and how, well, you can't get a St. Petersburg address, but and only local people will understand this, but it's like, well, if you want to go to Largo or Pinellas Park, you can save some money, but you won't have a St. Petersburg address. It's the same thing. <laughs> We're on the. Yeah, I saw the so, look in your eyes. You were going through the different areas of Florida. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I, I'm I'm guessing. Uh, well, I've talked about this before. It's like people like to compare the United States to like European countries. It's like, yeah, but a lot of our states are bigger than their whole countries. <laughs> like, if a whole state's bigger than their country, I don't think it's an apples to apple comparison. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. No, that that's uh and and Florida is the the melting pot because we have a gazillion people here from the you know the the northeast who moved here I think mostly uh for weather reasons. Uh we also have snowbirds, but I think they stopped coming this past year because I don't know if they could get back into Canada if they came here in the winter. <laughs> So they might uh, still uh, be here. <laughs> yeah, and as you said, the uh, teams from Toronto had to go down there, so I doubt the people were able to get in. And yeah, that's true. Team, both so. both Toronto teams had to stay here. Uh, I'm, I, I, you know, I don't even know. I should know. I'm not a big NBA fan. I should know why the Raptors got stuck here as opposed to other markets because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than we had a I, – they played in the Lightning – the Lightning's arena, they just converted it to, to basketball. So, but can't be the only, I mean, Nashville, they don't have a basketball team, do they? No. I think it has to do with more of a market big enough that had enough hotels that the players would want to go to and that uh, was well, was interested in the PR of taking on people from a different area. Like, uh, you know, Boston or anywhere up here would be like, you know, we don't need, this is, a uh, health concern to have even an NBA team. You know, we're not going to do that. But that's this is where the lax rules of Florida would come in. Like, sure, we'll take another team. You know, yeah. we can have we get another event, no problem. Yeah, no. But that I, I makes. I want to ask you as as a Tampa resident, what are your thoughts on Tom Brady? Um. Well, I, I'm a Saints fan. I which, forgot about that. Yeah, you which did tell me that which is a which is a big time curse. Now, although lately the Saints have won a lot more games, just not Super Bowls. Um, I I have a healthy level of respect for Tom Brady. One thing I've said for years that due to injury the past couple years, I think, make me look stupid, is I've always said... Tom Brady's the most accomplished quarterback of all time, and he, he will be probably forever. I'm nervous where you're going to end this, but go ahead. But if I had to pick a quarterback to lead my team, I would prefer Drew Brees. I would prefer Peyton Manning over Tom Brady. As far as just pure quarterback play. And I'm saying this. Here's one thing I'll say. Drew Brees has played or he's retired now, so he went 20 years and he had, I believe, one or two top 10 defenses his entire career. Tom Brady had like 18 in his 21 seasons. So, you know, I, I'm not I, I'm not saying Tom Brady's a great leader. I'm just saying if I needed someone to lead an offense, I would take either Breeze Tom or Brady. Manning. Over over Brady from a pure if I'm a if I'm an offensive coordinator, and I I know I and no one will no one would agree with me on that, but that that's my stance is that a team football gets too much of a team accomplishment being passed along to a quarterback. Not that Brady doesn't deserve it, but let's face it too: the first three Super Bowls the Patriots won with Brady, he was a game manager. He was not a great quarterback. He became a great quarterback I, in the years the Patriots didn't win Super Bowls. 
I was going to just applaud you for the way you literally kind of tiptoed around. That's very impressive. <laughs> but and you're 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 spot on when you say the quarterback absorbs the legacy of the team. If they if they are successful, then they are looked at more positively. I, I agree with you. Where you lose me with Brady is you know, Manning and Reeves specifically. While their defenses weren't that good, their offenses were pretty fantastic and had all the talent around them. And Brady's kind of done it with. We'll call it the B level talent around him for the most part, and a guy just a guy just wins. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I grew up a diehard, diehard Red Sox fan. You know that was my team uh, growing up. Before you know any any World Series they won, or just watching that, and just watching how successful the Yankees were, and how much I could not root for Derek Jeter, and how how hard <laughs> it was. To watch and then watch Tom Brady turn into Derek Jeter 2.0 afterward. Yeah, um, you know I now I understand what it's like to be kind of the, the house uh, in a casino. You know, first you know how can you root you know for the house in casino or the team that always wins? You know, when you root for the Patriots, that's it's like it's the bad guy. It's, it's 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 not fun. It's not the little guy. It's not the underdog. So I get it and I understand why people are frustrated coming from that watching the Yankees win everything as a diehard Red Sox fan. But I don't know. I just. Uh, <laughs> I just have a level of respect for him that I, that is not equal. Uh, you know, Breeze and Manny are good, but they're, they're not the same level to me. But no, I, well, I'd argue. I'll I'll argue one point. Uh, I don't think Drew Breeze has had better weapons than Tom Brady until the last couple of years with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Uh, I I think they've been about level, but but well, Breeze has also been. Team. What's that? Who coached that those Saints teams? Sean Payton. Is is he like an offensive guy for the most part? Yeah, he's a he's all offense, and that's why so the defense. All, do you think that would help a quarterback to have an all offense mind like Sean Payton? Sure, but they've also had the historically worst defense twice under Sean Payton, so they kind of ignored that until recently, which I. I mean that's that's a, a, a pox on Sean Payton, who I think's a Hall of Fame coach, not the greatest coach of all time, clearly, but uh, he's had a blind spot with defensive coordinators and and that. But they've actually spent more money generally on the offensive line, Drew Brees, and the defense. The skill position players are usually. I mean, Marcus Colston was a seventh round pick, and. He has much better career numbers than Julian Edelman, by the way. But people talk about Julian Edelman going to the Hall of Fame. His numbers are dwarfed by by Marcus Colston. Marcus Colston's not a Hall of Famer. I think he got the right quarterback <laughs> for for okay, him. I'm glad you said that. I would have th- I would have thought Edelman had better numbers, but I'm glad I'm glad you put that out. It's uh, regular season numbers, of course. Uh, it's it's not even close, which is which is. Actually, that was surprising to me, too. <laughs> um, but Marcus Colston and Drew Brees invented the back shoulder pass. Like, they maybe they didn't invent it, but they perfected it. Now that's – every offense has that. But it, was, it wasn't until 2006 when Drew Brees got this slow receiver who was huge, who could move his body really funky in, in midair, that that pass got – Got to be like uh, nobody can defend it. Everyone throw that back shoulder pass. It was it was the accuracy and the body control mixture. But I think Marcus Colston doesn't make any other NFL team other than the Saints. To be honest, I, it, I'm not going to go to that extreme. But you're right. He uh, Breeze definitely propped up his career. No, well the the Patriots I'm sure would have figured out a way to use them too. I they. <laughs> That's that's probably, but the Saints and Patriots also Peyton and Belichick seem to have a good relationship. They're both Parcells uh, disciples, so yes. I think I think they generally have a, a better sense of things around them. Belichick more than Peyton, unfortunately. But <laughs> hey, one thing we should be able to grant Bruce Arians is a piece of garbage as a head coach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will give Tom Brady all the credit in the world for leading the Bucks to the Super Bowl because his coach just dro- dragged him behind a truck in the media for weeks when things were not going well. 
<laughs> and Brady. It, it was different seeing that, that dynamic for sure. That uh, I was like, I don't think Brady's used to this kind of uh, this kind of uh, discussion in, in the open with the media, but uh, it worked out for for everybody. No, well, Tom Brady turned into Florida man though. Yeah, he, he. How so? Within his first week being here, he uh, broke into someone's house on accident, and he got uh, arre- almost arrested for being at a park illegally. <laughs> I forgot about those things. Yeah, so, right. so Florida man accidentally just walks into stranger's house. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, so uh, Mike, uh, before we we end things, I want to ask: um, Do you have anywhere you want people to find you or uh, reach out to you, follow you, anything like that? Uh, yeah, the easiest places to find me, I'm on LinkedIn, Mike Salitro or Accomplished RE uh, is my, my site if uh, you wanted to, for some reason, learn a little bit more about me. The two best places. Gotcha, yeah, and I'll, I'll put those links in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, hey, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge, way, way more knowledge than I could possibly absorb uh, and <laughs> and I, I like that we both had the same uh, delusion of going to college and being like, yeah, I'm going to just go work for ESPN when I get out. <laughs> well, I think that, that stems from you know, sharing our father's names but not being juniors. I, I really think that's where, where all of this started. It could be that. I, I, I also think like high school doesn't do a good job at being like, hey, you're, it, here's the reality if you want this career. <laughs> You're going to work in 17 tiny markets and move, you know, from the 120th market to the 89th market to the 60th market. And, you know, by the time you're around 40, 45, you might get a sniff at the top if you're really good. <laughs> again, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, that, no, no, no. That would be helpful to know before you kind of make that commitment or you feel like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And it's like, well, here's actually what it is. And, yeah, it would be... Uh, there's a lot of things you could or should learn in high school that just kind of not set up that way, but we yeah. need to get, get to that. Re- real estate's one of those things, by the way. <laughs> money in general. Money, like, just understanding investment, understanding finances would be helpful for any 15-year-old kid because you're going to have to pay some bills at the very least once you become an adult. So uh, having some idea of uh, you know, how, how money works would be helpful to, to everybody, but uh, it's not really part of the curriculum in most schools. No, well... Maybe there's hidden agendas, but that's not for us to decide, I guess. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you again. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, uh, I, I had fun, and uh, go Lightning. I'm not going to go there, but there's no chance I'm rooting for Montreal. So uh, I guess I'll say go Lightning, and I uh, appreciate the time, Jeff. I'll grab that snippet. Go Lightning is what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You got it. Take care. Yep. Well, that was it. That's the end. This is the end of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, I'd really appreciate if you would share it, you know, retweet it, uh, make your own tweet about it. Uh, just tell a friend, like, you know, tell your coworker in the cubicle next to you, check this thing out. Uh, I, I can't express enough, uh, how much gratitude I have seeing the ratings. Uh, I'm now getting hundreds per week. And, uh, if I keep that progress going, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be at like 11 billion per week in like a year. So yeah, that's, that's how the math works, right? (laughs) So, but I do appreciate all of you and, uh, anything, uh, any free thing you can do to help me would obviously be much appreciated, you know, give me a rating, uh, if you feel really, uh, really special, you can write a review on Apple, uh, you know, subscribe, follow, like the Facebook page, the Twitter, the Instagram, uh, you know, I appreciate all of it, you can even, uh, you can even, uh, support this podcast, uh, with the, uh, link in the show notes, if you would like, and, uh, Again, it's all appreciated, and uh, 
feedback's always appreciated as well. You know, reach out to me and tell me what you like, what you don't like. Uh, I appreciate everyone who does give me feedback. Uh, none of it has hurt my feelings, so feel free to give it, even if you, you think it might hurt my feelings. Um, I can I can take it. I'll just drink away the pain. I'm, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, thanks again for listening. Have more exciting guests lined up. Uh, the next two episodes um, should be awesome as well. Uh, I was really excited. I haven't done solo episodes in a while because I keep finding uh, interesting people that I really enjoy uh, talking to. Or, well, let's just say I hope the, the next couple I enjoy talking to as much as the recent uh, all of my guests. So, <laughs> thanks again. See you soon. Bye. Peace.